Hello and welcome to the Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. My name is Christabel Kunta and I'm a member of the Dartmouth graduating class of 2024. Today I'm joined by Sadna Hall, the deputy director of the Rockefeller Center. As the deputy director, Sadna oversees the operations of the center and is a member of the senior management team that develops the overall vision and strategic planning initiatives. Her dedication to justice and empowerment, both locally and globally, are reflected in her work prior to joining the Rockefeller Center. And now she has become a recognized teacher and practitioner of leadership. I'm excited to share with you that after the successful book Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice, which Sadnaka authored in 2018, she has now finished working on her second book, Leadership Blueprints. Sadna, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Christabel. It's so great to be with you here today. And thank you for your kind words. Let us begin with the first thing that your audience will read, the title. Why Leadership Blueprints? Can you tell me more about how you came up with the title and what do you hope it conveys? That's a great question, Christabel. In 2018, Gama Puruchi and I co-authored a book called Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice. In that book, we shared a firm belief that leadership indeed can be taught. And we talked about what you might cover in programs and courses related to leadership teaching and learning. Leadership Blueprints is slightly different. It truly, truly is a blueprint of all the leadership programs my colleagues and I have developed and conceptualized over the years. So it's literally a blueprint of these programs and you can use them to adopt, adapt, and adjust to your own specific context. All I can say is that the title fits perfectly. And when I read your book, I feel like each page delivers a new lesson. You teach the reader about leadership, but you also teach how to teach. And one of the details that I enjoyed much while reading were the handouts, which always summarized the information at the end of a section or a chapter or provided additional resources. But why did you decide to include them? In Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice, Gama Puruchi and I shared a collective vision A good idea becomes a great idea with the input of many. So Leadership Blueprints was reviewed by a number of people from different fields. Among them was Susan Conveys, who is known in the field of leadership. And she suggested that we should provide handouts for theories that inform the design and implementation of our programs, our leadership programs. So accordingly, the handouts were born. But I want to take this a step further. Leadership Blueprints contains three types of information. Essential to know information, good to know information, and nice to know information for those who want to adopt, adapt, and adjust these programs. The essential to know information is covered in the session descriptions. The good to know information is covered through handouts wherever applicable. And the nice to know information is included in supplemental resources. So all three of them will inform the reader about 
information they would like to incorporate in the sessions that become their own and uniquely theirs. I have yet to see a program in its entirety being designed and being implemented exactly as envisioned by the first design. So this is why I think people need to look at this information and make it their own because every program, every session, every thought is based on a particular facilitator's knowledge, experience, and what they want to create as a learning experience is a learning experience for their audience. It is so inspiring to hear about the larger messages behind the book, and I'm sure that your audience would feel like they have learned a lot. But I wonder what the process of writing Leadership Blueprints brought to you. For example, what are some things that you learned while working on it? Christopher, I can tell you that this was about the most humbling experience in my life in all sorts of ways. Listen, I could have just sat in a room, engrossed in my thoughts, written ideas down, written the book by myself, but I chose to take the harder route. I really wanted to understand this whole concept of a good idea becoming a great idea with the input of many. And additionally, I really wanted to know what students, alumni, speakers, and other contributors who have given willingly to these programs, to the development and implementation of these programs, really thought about them. And I can tell you, as I see now the book in print, I'm overwhelmed. Yes, a good idea becomes a great idea with the input of many. People have given willingly of their time and their ideas. And I feel like this book is a really good example of how when people really get behind something they believe in, you can really produce a very good product. Is it perfect? No, but it is very perfect in its imperfections together, just as all of us are. The book definitely touches on so many important points. And yet, is there something that didn't make it in the final version of the book? Something that you wish you hadn't cut out, but you had to? Or maybe something that you did not consider at the time of writing and are only now thinking about? Oh my god, what a great question. I think there were so many things. And first and foremost, I want to thank the speakers whose sessions I did not include because of space limitations. So I had to make an artificial cutoff and only covered sessions that were implemented from 2019 to 2020. But there have been many other speakers before that who offered sessions as well. So congratulations to those speakers as well because they built the backbone of these programs. So the other part, I think, was also very instructive. The book was written at a time when all of us were forced to work remotely because of COVID. And at the time, I learned so much about remote teaching and learning, really fast, really hard, really furiously. But, but now, today, now that the book is published, Oh my goodness, there are so many other things I have learned about 
online teaching and learning as well. And I really hope someday I can put these also together in a format that people are comfortable with. I also learned in writing a book like this, I really intended this book to be like a conversation and be very conversational in tone. So you have to prepare to be constantly dreaming up ideas and the whole process becomes iterative. So when I finished reading the book before it went into publication, I could think about a thousand things that I hadn't included or another thousand things that I could have said another way. And then I realized if I do this, this book will never get published. So it does follow the idea that it's a product, it's a great product, and it'll, we will continue to iterate until we feel really good about every single thing we have done. The process of finalizing the contents of a book definitely takes on some mysterious paths, but I'm also sure that it's very hard. As I mentioned earlier when introducing you to our listeners, this is not your first time publishing a book. So what inspired you to begin working on a second one? Christabel, this is a really, really great question. You know, the inspirations for anything you do come from many, many sources. So way back when, as you know, I worked in many different countries. I learned about management and leadership issues. At that point, I didn't really know about the management and leadership field as much as I do now. But I learned the hard way. I learned by making mistakes. I learned about what works. I learned about what doesn't work. And so when I started working on the first leadership program at Dartmouth, those experiences really informed how I was going to develop this program further. And when I started talking to colleagues in Dartmouth and outside of Dartmouth, I started learning from those who had just started in this career and those who were experienced in implementing programs. And there was a common refrain. And people said this, I just wish we had a resource like this where we could share our leadership designs and our blueprints. I just wish that we could work with each other and learn more from each other and develop programs to a higher level. So that was an inspiration. The second inspiration is a personal one. I had a friend who had brain cancer and was extremely courageous in her battle with it. So we would talk every day and I would often tell her about this whole idea about wanting to write a second book and tell her about why I wanted to write it. And she heard this again, again, and again, until one day she just said, turn your talk into action. That's when I started realizing, oh my goodness, I need to do something about this. And so that was another inspiration. And while Katie's not with us anymore, I want to thank her for, and actually my husband for giving me the nudge that it takes to start an ambitious project like this. Well, last but not the least, I've got to talk about institutional will. And here I dedicate this to Andrew Samwick, the former director of the center, who absolutely created the spaces and the places for me to grow the leadership programs and develop a continuum. And now 
I want to thank Jason Barabas, who's a current director who continuously supports this endeavor. But you know, none of this can happen without financial support. So donors also play a huge part. And here I want to thank Fritz Corrigan and Glenda Corrigan for supporting the development of these programs. So it takes colleagues, it takes personal inspiration, and it takes institutional will, political will, and donor support. I am so lucky. You have said many times that the book is meant for all, which is why there is another feature that I definitely need to ask you about. Leadership Blueprints is available in multiple formats. Why did you decide to have both electronic and paperback versions of the book? Okay, so if you believe, as I do, that the book is meant for all, then it has to be in multiple formats. Increasingly, we are seeing a lot of books that are in e-formats, and a lot of people prefer reading them. There's obviously a second really practical reason, which is environmentally, this is good. But then there is this other reason where a lot of people have told me that they prefer to read a book, love the smell, love the emotions it evokes, and reading for them really means reading a book they can hold in their hands. And so I decided to do an e-format, and I also decided to do a print-on-demand paperback. And hopefully this is going to be a resource that's available to all. The final thing I want to say about this is that the e-format is cheaper, and so it's more accessible that way. And hopefully I'm trying to be inclusive with it. We also did an all-text version so that it can be used by people who are unable to read or prefer that format as well. So in other words, I really tried to make it accessible to all. You said that you want leadership blueprints to appeal to the needs and desires of different people. But if you had to try and summarize, what does the ideal reader of your book look like? Or in other words, who is someone that you think should definitely read it? Oh my goodness, Christabel. I really hope this book is useful for everyone. But in particular, I'm thinking about people who are in higher education, who are developing leadership programs, the curricular courses that are being offered on leadership or other fields of endeavor. I also think about not-for-profit organizations that are really focusing on gaps that they see in their own institution and they can just pick a session on a whole bunch of sessions and design a leadership program that works for them. I don't want to... Uh, disregard for-profit organizations because I strongly believe that there are some principles of leadership that cut across every sector. And finally, it is useful for government institutions as well. And if you really want to, as an individual, think about what it means to be self-aware, what it means to work with others, what you should do within an organization to meet the mission of the organization, this book is definitely for you. So in short, it's for everyone. There's something in it for everyone. 
I think it has become very clear to our listeners that your book is so much about leadership, what it is, how to teach it. But can you tell me what leadership is not? Christabel, this is a complex question, and I would like to answer it in two ways. Much has been written about bad leaders and bad leadership, and I do make a distinction between the two. And I think people who are interested in this field should look at themselves as leaders, and they should look at the systems that they're creating for positive outcomes. So let's start with what is a bad leader, in my opinion. And this is really based on experience. Obviously, I've read. A lot about this, but honestly, the things that really, really resonate with me is what I'm talking about here. So, honestly, a person is a bad leader when they're insecure and they project their insecurity on others when they absolutely do not create conditions for others to grow. They disempower others. They create an environment that's not conducive to growth, learning, or positive outcomes, and the environment is fraught with gossip and idle gossip. They're also bad leaders, and they can't define integrity for themselves. And for me, it means keeping your word. Nothing more, nothing less. Being transparent is important, and bad leaders often are not transparent or even authentic for that matter. And people can smell lack of authenticity in a huge way. Let's just switch gears and just talk about leadership. Okay, it's a process that involves a leader, followers, towards a unified goal within a context. So I think the first part about a systems approach is to find people and place them in the right places within an organization that speak to their talents and their skills. Give them the resources and let them run with it and have systems, administrative, financial, program, and management to support them. So when you have all these things, you have good leadership. Conversely, if you don't focus on all these things, I really believe that it does create issues and deep reflection and course correction is required. Now, can we address this? Absolutely. And it's really my hope that people really start thinking about themselves, becoming self-aware, how they work with others, how they work within an organization to achieve societal good. Because no matter what people may say about the systems approach, it begins with an individual who has the agency to make changes for others. I'm sure that the book will reach a lot of people, and I hope that these beautiful messages resonate with them. But we know that many people make decisions in a matter of seconds when it comes to whether a book seems exciting or not, if it's worth their time, their money, or their energy. If Leadership Blueprints was advertised, say, on the billboard, what would its catchy slogan say? Oh goodness, Christabel, that is such an interesting question. I guess it would say Leadership Blueprints, adopt, adapt, adjust, be inspired, be inspiring. My deep hope for people is 
to help others to become inspired and really, really start addressing their technical competence and their ability to work with others and at the same time understand what is it that they are trying to achieve. And so if you are a leader, it's your job, I think, to be inspiring, transparent, authentic, and thoughtful, and most of all, caring. For those you are working with in any capacity, and I know sometimes people don't like the word follower, but someone leads and someone follows, in my opinion, and these roles are interchangeable. But for your leaders, you for your followers, you need to be a role model. And you also need to understand that leadership is anywhere and everywhere. And it is absolutely a joy to exercise it anytime you feel. So I really want readers of this book and people who work with me to always be inspired and always be inspiring. Because I must tell you, the Rockefeller Center team really inspires me to do my best. And I want to do my best for the rest. I can say that Leadership Blueprints has brought a lot of excitement and is highly anticipated by everybody involved in its creation. And on this heavy note, I would like to thank Sadna for joining us. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Best of luck to you and to Leadership Blueprints. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Hemlock. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. If you want more information, you can find us at rockefeller.dartmouth.edu.